If you would open your Bibles with me to Psalm 40. Psalm 40. I want to remember our brother Eric. He's preaching in Withersburg this morning, and we're preaching Wednesday night at Todd's Road Grace Church. I want to remember him as he preaches and travels. I heard yesterday from Deb Sparks, and uh, Novi went in for another uh, throat stretching, I think dilation, I think is what they call it, and she didn't need it. And they're done with that, and Deb's so happy she can't really stand it. So, yeah, thankful for that. All right, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works, which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, Mine ears hast thou opened, burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation, lo, I have not refrained my lips. O Lord, thou knowest, I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore my heart faileth me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for reward of their shame that say unto me, Aha, aha. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified, but I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. All right, let's stand together. Sean leads us in singing our call to worship. On the cross of Christ I thought It seemed I heard one cry Is all this nothing in your eyes You who this day pass by Is not such suffering greater than that which you've seen before. 
number 283 283 yesterday today forever oh how sweet the glorious message simple faith may claim yesterday today forever Jesus is the same sick and lame. Cheer the mourner, call the tempest, glory to his name. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never glory to his name. Raging billows rock 
prayed in anguish in Gethsemane. Drinks with us each cup of trembling in our agony. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never Glory to his name, glory to his name, glory to his name. All may change, but Jesus never, glory to his name. As of old he walked to Emmaus with them to abide. So through all life's way, he walketh ever near our side. Soon again shall we behold him, hasten, Lord, the day. But will still be this same Jesus as he went away. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. All may change, but Jesus never Pastors ask us to read from the Psalm, chapter 13. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Listen my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he has dealt bountiful with me. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, this morning for your word. It's been a blessing, as always. You have given unto us this place in which we have to come and hear. And as we had preached to us this morning, Lord, to hear your gospel. Oh, how precious is these words in which we have preached to us, Lord, each and every time. We enter into your place of worship. These are words of eternal life. And what a blessing that is, Lord. These words are the only way and the only means in which we can truly know him. Know the one in whom has died. No other means is there, but by this gospel can we know the person, the Savior, our Lord. So we thank you, Lord. Oh, let us not take for granted this gospel. 
which you have been so gracious to give in our generation, for this is truly a precious, precious gift. And we pray these things, Lord, not only for ourselves, but we pray these things for all men. We pray these things especially for our loved ones, Lord, each and every one of them. We want them to know these things, Lord, give them this understanding, this, this knowing gospel. Let them know these things, Lord. We pray also, Lord, for those in whom are going through the sickness, the heartaches, the troubles, those in whom are suffering these infirmities, the afflictions of these fleshly bodies, and these trials and tribulations of this world. We pray, Lord, we pray your mercies. The mercies of your grace be upon them. The mercies of your Son, our Savior, be upon them, Lord, each and every one of them. Healing, Lord, if it be your mercy and your will. All these things we ask, we ask these things in Christ's name and for Christ's sake only. If you still have your Bibles open there, Psalm 13, just hold them open. That's going to be our text this morning. Ask Brother Gary to read that passage for us. And he said, there's a lot in that psalm. I'm going to see if I can't wring a little bit out of it for us today. I've titled the message, How Long, O Lord? As I've told you before, whenever we read the Psalms, we should read the Psalm first as the words of Christ, the son of David. He's the one that's speaking. That's the primary meaning of every Psalm. The Psalms are no different than the rest of the scriptures. The primary meaning of every verse of scripture is to show us Christ and redemption in him. So we should read the Psalm first as the words of Christ. But we should also read these Psalms as the word of, words of David, the words of Moses. They were the writers of most of the Psalms. These are their words. The Holy Spirit inspired them to, to write them, but, but they're their words. And the words in our text this morning, these are the words and the feelings of David. This is something that David really went through. This really happened to David, and he really did feel this way. But they're also the words of the Savior, aren't they? So first, I want us to look at these words as the words of Christ the Savior. And I, it's my prayer that, that uh, seeing these things as the words of Christ will draw our hearts to him, to trust him. Now, the question that the Savior is asking is how long? How long? Well, the short answer is this, as long as it takes. First, how long? As long as it takes to put away the sin of God's people. Verse 1, he says, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? The Savior asked his Father, How long, O Lord? How long will you forget me? How long are you going to hide your face from me so I can't see you? Now, we know this, that the Father never forgot his son, did he? Now at Calvary, I'm sure it felt that way, but it wasn't so. The father didn't forget the son, but the father did certainly hide his face from the son for a time, didn't he? The father hid his face. He hid his loving, gracious presence from his son when his son was made sin. When Christ was made sin, the father couldn't look on him. Because the Father's holy. 
He can't look on sin. And that was the greatest suffering that the Savior endured. When the Father withdrew his presence, his gracious, loving presence from him, he gave him his presence of justice and judgment, didn't he? And holy wrath against sin, but he, he withdrew his loving, gracious presence from his Son. When Christ was made sin for his people, now there's business to be done. He became the sin sacrifice. This is what he came for, to be the sacrifice for sin. And at that time, business is being done between the Father and the Son. The redemption of God's elect is being accomplished. And the Father poured out his unmitigated wrath upon his Son. The Father gave his Son absolutely everything that sin deserves. Without a drop, without a hint, without a whisper of mercy. Because that's what sin deserves. The father didn't hold anything back just because the sacrifice was his son. He gave his son everything sin deserves. And the Savior is letting us know how much he truly suffered at that time. How long, O oh Lord? You know that the Savior cried from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that let us know the depth of his suffering. And you notice the Savior didn't cry out to his father. You know, he's talking to his disciples before he went to the cross. He said, I go to my father and your father. Here, he doesn't say, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? He cried to God the judge. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The father took away his loving presence from his son and gave him all the judgment that sin deserves. Well, how long? How long did the father hide his face from his son? Well, as long as it took to put the sin of his people away, and then the suffering of the Savior was over. But as long as it took to put sin away. Number two, how long? How long? As long as it takes to satisfy God's justice. Verse two, he says, how long shall I take counsel in my soul? Having sorrow in my heart daily, how long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Now the Savior sorrowed. Oh, he, he sorrowed. He suffered in body and soul until justice was satisfied. The debt was paid. And the tool that the Father was pleased to use to put his son to death were the Jews. The Jews and the Romans, they got together. I read, uh, I was reading this, this week, and I just I saw it again, how when Christ was going through this mock trial before he went to the cross to be crucified, before that happened, Herod and Pilate were not friends. They, they just were not friends at all. They became friends around this issue of putting Christ to death. The Jews and the Romans, they, all, they did it together. And that enemy, now they're the enemies of Christ. The, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, those self-righteous folks, that enemy, it looked like they were prevailing for a while, didn't it? When the Savior gave up the ghost and died, and they took a dead body down from the tree, put him in a sepulcher, and rolled the stone in front of the, front of the opening of that thing, it looked like the enemy prevailed. How pleased with themselves do you imagine the scribes and Pharisees were when they went from crucifying the Lord of glory to go observe the Passover. Oh, you know, they were smug and so self-satisfied. 
It looked like they prevailed. But you know, they should have known better. These men knew the scriptures. These enemies of Christ did everything the Old Testament scriptures foretold that they would do. They, it, it, it looks like they just followed the script given in the Old Testament of what, you know, what they're supposed to do next. And they did. Now, I know they did what their wicked hearts desired to do. But when they did it, whose purpose did they accomplish? It wasn't theirs, was it? It was God's. See, they seemed to profit for a while. But when the sacrifice of Christ was complete, they profited no more. They couldn't profit in their religion. The Lord destroyed it. He began destroying it the moment Christ gave up the ghost. When Christ gave up the ghost on Calvary's hill, what happened down there in the temple? The veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Now, to the Jew, that's a big deal. That high priest went behind that veil once every year, not without blood, to sprinkle that, the blood of, the, of atonement on the mercy seat. I mean, nobody could go in there. If you try to go in there, they're, they're gonna drag, you're going to die. They're going to drag you out by your feet. I mean, you're going to die instantly. And when the priest went in there, now he went with the blood. He went following the, the rules of worship that the, that the Father gave him to do. But they're still mighty worried. Is, is he doing everything right? If he does something wrong, he, God's going to strike him down. We're not going to have an atonement. They listen for those bells on the bottom of his robe to see if he's still moving around, you know. And now, the veil's torn in two. You can just look right in there. You can just go right in there. God showed that the way to worship God now through the priesthood of Aaron was done. You didn't need that priest to go into the Holy of Holies for you anymore. You could go yourself into the very presence of God as long as you came pleading the blood of Christ. You could go in. You didn't need that priest. Come yourself. Come, come to Christ. Come straight into his presence. When that veil was torn in two, the priests and the Pharisees, they had no more control over the people anymore. You know, they used to use that religion to, to control people. Well, they couldn't control them anymore. They didn't need them. They were, they were unnecessary. And just to make sure that this whole religious economy was done. In a few years, you know what the Lord did? He sent the Roman army in there to level that place. <laughs> and everything in the temple was gone. Never, as far as I know, nobody ever heard from again. Now the Lord has cast off the Jews as a nation. Now as a nation. The Lord's still saving Jews. He's merciful to them just like he is us Gentiles. But as a nation... The Lord is done with the Jews. He's done with dealing with them as a national people, as a picture of spiritual Israel. 2 Corinthians 3 tells us the Lord's blinded their hearts so they cannot see. The Lord made their religion. They still go through a lot of these religious ceremonies and these things, but he's made their religion a trap. It keeps them from seeing all their, all their works of religion, their ceremonies of religion. It keeps them from seeing Christ. It's a trap. But the point of all that is this. How long did the enemy prosper? As long as God purposed for them until they accomplished his purpose. Then he's done with them. When they did the job, 
that God had for them to do. Justice was satisfied. They crucified the, the Lord of glory. The job's done. The sacrifice is offered. There's no more sacrifice for sin. Now God's done with them. And he cast them off and they never prospered again. All right, thirdly, how long? How long, the Savior says, are you going to forget me? How long am I going to suffer like this? Until the appointed time of Christ's resurrection. Verse 3, he says, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Don't let me sleep the sleep of death. Raise me from the dead. Now, the Savior always knew he would suffer and die. He always knew that. He told his disciples before he went to Jerusalem, he said, we're going to go to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man is to be betrayed. He's going to be crucified of the scribes and the Pharisees, and the third day I'll rise again. He already knew what was going to happen there when he went to Jerusalem. He told them he would suffer and die. That's why the Lord was ever born in the flesh in the first place. He was born to die as a sacrifice, as a sinless sacrifice for his people. Do you know why the Lord knew what was going to happen in Jerusalem when he got there? Because he already knew those scribes and Pharisees were going to accomplish his will. See, he was going there to accomplish his will and his purpose. He knew he'd suffer and die, but he also knew he'd rise again the third day. Isn't it amazing? The Lord suffered and, and died, and the Lord told him, I'm going to suffer and die, and the third day I'll rise again. Doesn't it just amaze you? And I'm not just talking about the disciples now. This is our nature too. The Lord said, I'm going to suffer and die. I'm going to rise again the third day. Well, he suffered and he died. And they were all hiding out, afraid the same thing's going to happen to them. And three days after the Lord died, the, the women come and said, you know, the Lord's raised from the dead. And they didn't believe, like they'd never heard of this before. You know? The Lord knew he would rise again the third day. There's never any doubt you know why he knew he'd rise again the third day? He knew his sacrifice would be accepted. He knew the sin of his people was going to be put away by his precious blood. And once sin is gone, he has to be raised from the dead. Once sin is gone, he can't stay dead because sin's what causes death. Where there's no sin, there must be life. <laughs> That's why the Savior knew he'd be raised from the dead. He knew the appointed time of his resurrection and he's going to suffer until God's appointed, predetermined time for him to be raised from the dead arrived. That's how long. Until God's time. All right, number four, how long? How long? Until it's time for mercy. Verse five says, but I've trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. Christ suffered. Oh, he suffered. Just unimaginable. We, did, we, we, we can't even express it. It's suffering of body and soul. He suffered until justice was satisfied. He suffered until sin was put away. But now that sin is gone, now that justice is satisfied, God can show mercy to sinners. And then he can be right in doing it. He can be right in because of what Christ has done. See, the Savior suffered on the cross in hope. In hope. And that word hope, it doesn't mean like 
Well, I mean, I hope it's not going to snow tomorrow. No, I mean, I don't know if it is. I hope it, no. It's an expectation. The, the Savior suffered in expectation of mercy for his people. Now, you know why he expected mercy for his people? Because the Father promised him he would. You suffer and die to put away the sin of my people. These the people that I chose to save, you suffer and die to put their sin away. I'll have mercy on it. He suffered expecting his people would receive mercy from the Father. And he knew that they would because he knew his, his sin, his, his death was their death. There's no reason for them to be condemned anymore. He put their sin away. Once the blood of Christ put the sin of God's elect away, there's no reason that the Father would ever condemn them. They were already condemned in Christ. Once sin is gone, all, and justice is satisfied, wrath has been poured out on the substitute, what's left with the, in the Father now? Nothing but mercy. Nothing but mercy. So how long are the Savior's going to suffer until the time for mercy arrives? And then fifthly, how long? Well, until the glory of Christ is revealed. In verse 6, he says, I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Now, God's greatest glory is seen at Calvary. Everything about God, everything God does, everything God purposes, it's all glorious, isn't it? But God's greatest glory is seen in that awful, bloody scene at Calvary. At Calvary, all of God's attributes are glorified at once. When Christ died, God's justice was glorified, wasn't it? You never have to doubt that God's just. He killed even his own son for sin. God's justice is glorified in that. And at the same time, when Christ died, God's mercy was also glorified. God killed his own son so that he could have mercy on a people he determined to save. Now I'm telling you, that's glorious. That God determined to have mercy, to show mercy on sinners. And in order to do it, he put his son to death to do it. That glorifies God's mercy, doesn't it? It makes it all the more glorious. When Christ died, God's holiness was glorified. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That glorifies God's holiness. God won't even look on even his own son when his son's been made sin because God's holy. And at the same time, when Christ died, God's love for sinners was glorified too. How can a holy God love a sinner like you and me? Look what God did to his son so he could love sinners and bring sinners in his presence. The death of Christ glorified God's love, didn't it? Christ did not die as a pathetic, helpless victim that you should feel sorry for. I hear people in false religion trying to get you to feel sorry for poor Jesus and, you know, won't you trust him because you feel sorry for him. No, you, you, you don't trust him because you feel sorry for him. You trust him because he's the sovereign, successful Savior who put away the sin of his people. His death was a victory, not a defeat. You don't feel sorry for him. He's on the throne. 
Christ died to glorify his Father and enable his Father to be merciful to sinners in justice. He suffered. Oh, how he suffered. But in the end, he said, the Lord hath dealt bountifully with me. Oh, he's dealt bountifully with my people. The people that I loved, the people that I willingly went to suffer and die for, the Lord's dealt bountifully with them. He's given them the riches of his mercy. He's given them eternal life. He's, oh, how he's dealt bountifully with his people because of the success of Christ's sacrifice. Now, you remember when the Savior told his disciples, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all unto me. I'll draw all my people unto me. Well, if the Lord ever gives us a vision of Christ by faith, him lifted up and what he accomplished in his death, we'll believe him. I promise you we'll believe him. And we'll sing his praises. He suffered that for me? Oh, we'll sing his praises. We see how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. We'll sing his praises. So how long, how long must the Savior suffer? Well, it's until his sorrow is turned to singing. That's how long. All right, that's the words of the Savior. Doesn't that thrill your heart? Don't you see? This is how God accomplished the salvation of his people. This is the Savior who can be trusted. But as Brother Henry told us so often, the, the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament scriptures, are bifocal. These are also the words of David. And these are the words of every believer. David's just speaking for us all here. Because whenever we suffer, one of the first questions we always ask is how long? Isn't that right? I mean, we don't have to suffer for very long at all before we start asking how long. How long is this going to go on? How long am I going to endure this? Well, the answer is simple. As long as it takes. As long as it takes. It won't be forever. It won't be forever. It'll be as long as it takes. Number one, how long? How long are we going to suffer? Until God's purpose is accomplished. Just like our Savior. He suffered until God's purpose of redemption was accomplished, didn't he? The Savior suffered until sin was put away. Justice was satisfied. And now God could rightly show mercy to his people. The Savior suffered until God's purpose was accomplished. Well, the same thing is true for all of his children. Our trials are going to last until God's purpose for us is accomplished. That's how long. See, the Lord has a purpose in everything that he does. God's purpose in sending trials to his children is to teach us. It's to teach us. It's to teach us to trust him. It's to teach us more about him. It's to increase our faith in Christ. And our trial will last until we learn more of the faithfulness of our God so that we trust him more. Trials are sent to teach us to teach us our own weakness so we'll trust his strength. Trials. You know, anytime you put something under pressure, it reveals its real character, doesn't it? Trials reveal that sinful nature that's so alive and well in us. 
so that we're reminded to trust Christ, to trust him as our only righteousness. Trials reveal how quickly we would become unfaithful if God didn't stop us from it. Trials will reveal just how quickly we'd cut and run so that we learn to trust his faithfulness. His salvation is not my faithfulness. It's not your faithfulness. It's his faithfulness. And I know when we're in a time of trial, it feels like, it feels like the Lord's left us alone, doesn't it? It feels like he's abandoned us. Now, he hasn't. He'll never leave nor forsake his people. He never takes his eye off of his people. He always sees us, even when we don't see him. But it feels that way, doesn't it? It feels like the Lord's punishing us. It feels like he's, he's deserted us. And that's why David asked, how long? Lord, how long will you hide your face from me? That's the worst part of the trial. I don't care what trial it is, if it's whatever it is. The worst part of it for a child of God is I don't feel like I can see the face of the Savior. He's, he's hiding his face from me. That's the worst part of any trial. David asked that here. Look over at Psalm 69. He says this repeatedly in the Psalms. Oh, don't hide your face from me. Lord, don't hide. Reveal your face. Don't hide from me. It's, it's the worst part of every trial. Psalm 69, verse 17. And hide not thy face from thy servant, for I'm in trouble. Hear me speedily. You know, how long, Lord? Hear, hear me speedily. Make haste to help me. Draw nigh unto my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of mine enemies. Oh, this is David's great plea. Don't hide your face from me. Our brother John Newton understood the very same thing. See, I told you these are the words of every believer. Newton wrote these great words. How tedious and tasteless the hours when Jesus no longer I see. Sweet prospects, sweet birds, and sweet flowers have all lost their sweetness to me. The midsummer sun shines but dim. The fields strive in vain to look gay. There's just no pleasure in anything when I can't see his face, when I don't have his presence. Newton said, O Lord, if indeed I am thine, if thou art my son and my song, say, why do I languish and pine? And why are my winters so long? This is so long. Lord, how long? Newton's asking the same thing David asked it. How long? Lord, how long will you hide your face from me? Look at Isaiah chapter 54. Now the Lord does hide his face. Now he never deserts his people. But he does hide his face for a time. And I'll tell you why he does it. So that we learn more of his faithfulness. So we learn more of the sweetness of his goodness. And so that we'll trust him more. That's why he does it. That's what he tells us here in Isaiah 54 verse 7. For a small moment have I forsaken, forsaken thee. How long? A small moment. It doesn't seem like it at the time, but a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment. How long? A moment. But with everlasting, unending kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. The Lord hides his face 
just for a moment. That's how long it'll be, just for a moment. So that we learn how sweet God's mercy and how sweet his kindness, how sweet his presence really is. So that we'll trust him even more. So that we learn he is my all. All right, number two, how long? How long will this trial endure, the suffering of it endure? Well, it's until I learn where true comfort is found so that I'm able maybe someday to help comfort somebody else. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Before I read this, you think of all the, the trials and the sufferings that the Apostle Paul endured for the gospel's sake. And then listen to what he says about them. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, we suffer this trial. You know why? It's for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the, endure, in the enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it's for your good, for your consolation and your salvation. Now this is just a fact of the matter. Trials soften our hearts. They do. They soften our hearts toward others who are hurting. If God never sent us trials to soften us, we'd be so hard. I mean, we'd be as hard as steel. We wouldn't understand when somebody else is suffering. We'll think, what's wrong with you? You know, why, why are you moping around? Why are you acting all, you know? <coughs> The Lord sends us to try to soften our hearts toward others when they're suffering. After we endure a trial, and the Lord comforts our heart in it, afterward, when somebody else is suffering the same thing, we can go to them and say, I understand. I understand where you're at. We can tell them how the Lord comforted us. You just watch and see in your own Experience if this is not true. When the Lord sends you a trial, who is it that calls you? Who is it that comes to you and really understands? It really wants to know how are you feeling? What's going on? What can I do to help? Who is it? It's somebody that's already endured the very same thing. That's who it is. See, when the Lord comforts us, now we can tell others from experience, the Lord's able to comfort you. Even in the midst of the fire. If he, doesn't, even if he doesn't turn the fire down, he can still comfort you. I know he can. I've experienced it, and I'll pray the same for you. We can tell folks by experience. I know what it feels like. But the Lord's faithful. He hadn't forgot you. He hadn't turned away from you. And we can't take away the hurt. But I understand where you're at. And we can sit and cry together. <laughs> Sometimes it's good just to have somebody sit and cry with you, isn't it? Job's friends were the best friends when they kept their mouth shut. Their problem was they started opening their mouth. But as long as they kept their mouth shut and just cried with him, they were good friends, weren't they? 
Lord's got to soften our hearts so we know what it feels like. So we can comfort others. See, it's for your sake. These things don't just happen to us individually. It's for your sake, for the sake of others. All right, back in our text, Psalm 13. How long? How long will I suffer this? How long will this go on? Until we learn the glory of the Savior's presence. Verse 5 says, But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Now David began this psalm sorrowing. And the more he thought about the Savior, he ended up singing, didn't he? Just a few short verses, he went from sorrowing to singing. You know why? That's because in the midst of whatever trial this is that David's going through, the Lord taught him something. The Lord taught David the preciousness of the Lord's presence. He taught him. You know, I, John Chapman said this years ago, I've never, never have forgot it. That when the Lord sends a trial, the best thing that we could pray is, Lord, teach me. Lord, te Don't pray, Lord, take away the trial. Lord, teach me. <laughs> teach me. Teach me the preciousness of your presence. Newton understood that too. Newton, who wrote how tedious and tasteless the hours when Jesus no longer I see. Newton, who wrote, Lord, if indeed I am thine, if you're my son and my song, why do I languish and pine? And why are my winters so long? Newton understood the heartache of trial, didn't he? He understood it. He understood the heartache of not feeling the Lord's presence. But like I said, that, that, as long as it takes. That's how long that's going to endure, as long as it takes. But it won't be forever. Because Newton also wrote this. Oh, but when I'm happy with him, December's as pleasant as May. The Lord don't have to make December change to May for me to be happy. No, I can be happy in December as long as I'm with him. See what he's saying? His name yields the richest perfume. It's sweeter than music, his voice. His presence disperses my gloom and makes all within me rejoice. The Lord doesn't have to take the gloom away. All he's got to do is show up. All he's got to do is give me his presence. Oh, I should worry always thus and I. Have nothing to wish or to fear. No mortal so happy as I. My summer would last all the year. I'd feel like it's summer even in January. Now here's, here's it. Content with beholding his face. My all to his pleasure resign. No changes of season or place would make any change in my mind. While blessed with the sense of his love, a palace, a toy would appear. And prisons would palaces prove if Jesus would dwell with me there. You know what he's saying? I'd rather be in prison and have the presence of Christ than be in a palace without it. Salvation's a person, isn't it? You can't say, well, I'll hang on to my uh, 
my right doctrine and my orthodoxy and stuff. I'd rather have that and be in prison. Can't say that. But if I know him, if I know him, I'd rather have him and be in prison than be somewhere else without him. See, Newton learned that. Having the presence of Christ is better than being free from the trial. I don't reckon you believe that so until you experience it. But he's right. There's something so glorious, so precious to the heart of a believer that the heat of the trial is not turned down, but you have comfort and joy, and you can truthfully say the Lord has dealt bountifully with me because he's comforted your heart with his presence. There's nothing better. That being said, I don't want to have the next trial, but it's still so. It's still so. See, trials teach us that. Those trials teach us and constantly remind us, I need the presence of the Savior more than anything. That's what I need. So how long? How long? Well, until in the Lord's time, he turns our sorrow into singing. If the Lord's died for your sin, he'll turn your sorrow into singing eventually. I promise you he will. Now, I tell you this all the time. Look to Christ. Look to him. Trust him. Depend upon him. Depend upon him for the salvation of your soul. Depend upon him for your righteousness. Depend upon him for your justification. Depend upon him to forgive your sin. Look to him. And never stop looking to him. Look to him for your salvation. Depend upon him for your salvation. And look to him for the comfort of your soul. <laughs> look to him. And never look away. If the Lord sends me a trial teaches me that, it's been good for me, hasn't it? It's been good. All right. Let's bow together. Our Father, how we thank you for your word. How we thank you that you've given us some glimpse of the suffering of the Savior. So that we know he suffered until the sin of his people was put away. How thankful we are. Oh, how thankful we are. And Father, we're thankful that you promised to, to comfort the hearts of your people. You, I, I know that you can and you will deliver. You're able to deliver. I, we know that. But Father, until such time as you're pleased to deliver, we pray for comfort for the hearts of your people. That you give them a, a special portion of your presence and do what only you can do to comfort their hearts in the midst of the valley. Father, these things we ask for your glory. Oh, how we pray that in, in this dark, dark day that you reveal to us your glory, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name, for his sake we pray. Amen. All right, Sean, come lead us in a closing hymn, if you would. If you would, turn in your hymnals to song number 199, 199, and stand as we sing, Christ receiveth sinful men.
sinners Jesus will receive. Sound this word of grace to all who the heavenly pathway leave. All who linger, all who fall, sing it all and o'er again. Christ receive a sinful man. Make the message clear and plain. Christ receive a sinful man. Come and he give you rest. Trust him for his word is plain. He will take the sinful lust. Christ receive a sinful man. Sing it o'er and o'er again. Christ receive the sinful man. Make the message clear and plain. Christ receive a sinful man. Now my heart condemns me not. Pure before the law I stand. He who cleansed me from all spot, satisfied its last demand. Sing it o'er and o'er again. Christ receive the sinful man. Make the message clear and plain. Christ receive a sinful man. Christ receive a sinful man. Even me with all my sin, purged from every spot and stain, heaven with him I enter in, sing it o'er and o'er again. Christ receive the sinful man, make the message clear and plain. Christ receive a sinful